April 10th. As we read in the New Testament today, we'll be narrating from the final part of Luke 13 going into chapter 14. It talks about opportunity. You know, God's kingdom is at work in this world, but many people fail to take advantage of their opportunities. You know, God feeds the birds of the air, but He doesn't pry open their beaks and stuff the food in. No, uh, there is opportunity there. Many people fail to take advantage. Instead of entering the kingdom, some people just spend their lives opinionating and asking a lot of questions about it, going nowhere, spinning, uh, spinning their wheels. You see, salvation is not a theory to discuss. It's a miracle to experience. I mean, no wonder Jesus wept when he saw the sinners uh, passing by all those opportunities to be saved. Don't wait for opportunities to come. They're already here. Luke uh, chapter 14 asks the question, Do I exploit people? When we eat together, it should be a time of loving fellowship and joyful gratitude to God. But the Pharisees turned tables into traps and exploited people. They used a man with a handicapping condition and trying to capture Jesus, trying to catch Jesus, trying to trick him. And they went to feasts only to receive honors. And they invited uh, to their feasts only people who would return the favor. Hospitality is ministry only if our motive is to help others and glorify God. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. April 10th, Luke chapter 13, verse 22, through chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, The door to heaven is narrow. Work hard to get in, because many will try to enter. But when the head of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. Then you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I do not know you. You will say, But we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you I don't know you. Go away, all you who do evil. And there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets within the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. Then people will come from all over the world to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who are despised now will be greatly honored then, and some who are greatly honored now will be despised then. A few minutes later, some Pharisees said to him, Get out of here if you want to live, because Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and doing miracles of healing today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is left to you empty. And you will never see me again until you say, Bless the one 
who comes in the name of the Lord. One Sabbath day, Jesus was in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. The people were watching him closely, because there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, Well, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and asked, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you proceed at once to get him out? Again, they had no answer. You know, when I I read the Old Testament, I'm overwhelmed at the intensity of the men of God. I wonder where they get that spiritual authority and where they get this Holy Ghost stamina to do what they did for a prophet to lay for 365 days on his side, warning Jerusalem of coming judgment. 365 days laying on his side. I, I read of these men that fast 40 days and 40 nights. I can't fast three. I I read of men that are so burdened with the burden of God and so incensed against the sin against God's nature that they can pull clumps out of their beard and clumps out of their hair. I'm amazed at at, at men who can weep and cry and mourn for two and three weeks at a time on their face. No food, no water, and mourn and grieve for the heart of God. And I read those stories and I say, God, those are men of another sort. I, I don't know what that's like. And, and, and then the thing that troubles me is that God says that these things have been put in the Word as examples for us on whom the ends of the world have come. That, that these, these men were men of like passion. There, was, there, was, there were patterns. There was something in them that God did that laid, what caused God to lay His hands on them. Our present generation is probably, without a doubt, the most wicked of all times. Many more times wicked than than Sodom, Gomorrah, Nineveh. If there was ever a time that people, nations and churches and the society needed men of such intensity, it's now. Why would God arbitrarily raise up men men of another sort who had this passion, who were able to do incredible exploits in understanding the heart of God and showing the heart of God to nations and brought them to repentance through their actions. And I I say to myself, God, would you arbitrarily, all all the way from church history, all the way back to Abraham, go all the way back and God would raise up prophets and God would raise up men and raise up women with such an anointing that they would bring the whole society to their knees and back to God. Why would God suddenly at these last days, when we need Him more than any other generation, not raise up men and women as such? I think it obligates us. Now, I'm not speaking just about preachers, but every every member of every congregation, everyone who calls himself by the name of Jesus Christ, to search the Word of God out and find the patterns, how these men became men of another sort. How, why did God touch them? 
Why did God anoint them? Why did God use them? Why did their words not fall to the ground? And why were they so marvelously changed by the power and the hand of God? There are no hidden secrets about being touched by God. There are no hidden secrets. You can study the Word of God and find the patterns, find the way in which men were touched by the hand of God and follow that path. I'm not that kind of man, but I, I, I want to be a man of another sort. A, a man touched by the hand of God. Where even the enemies of the Lord know that there's a spiritual authority and know that there's been something that comes from the throne of God's heart. We're considering Ezra, first of all, the Bible said a man who awakened his entire nation. It is said of him he was a man with the hand of God on him. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, to practice it. He set his heart. This was a conscious decision. One day he said, I am going to be a man of the word. I'm going to go to the word and I'm going to tremble by it. And I'm going to act on everything I read. And God saw a man who was saturated with his word, who hungered and loved and appreciated the word. This one man prepared his heart and said, I am going to be a man of the word. There's not a person hearing me that cannot do that by a conscious decision. You don't need some Holy Ghost revival. You don't need somebody sitting down putting you under conviction. You take this word in your hand and say, God, as sure as I have the authority to sit and watch television for three hours, I've got the ability, I can make a decision, I can study God's Word. God supernaturally lays His hand on only those who hunger and thirst after His Word and do it. God touches those who love His Word and who fast and pray according to that Word. Did you see the pattern? into the Word, back to fasting and prayer, getting the burden of the Lord in his mind. There's nothing complicated about it. Setting the heart, engaging the heart, preparing the heart to seek the Lord. We're reading today in Psalm 79. Once again, Asaph is lamenting the invasion of the enemy. He had several concerns. He was concerned for God's inheritance. The temple was defiled, the city destroyed, and the people slain. God permitted these things to happen to his inheritance. But God would rather destroy his inheritance than allow his people to sin and rebel. And Asaph was concerned about God's name. What will the heathen nations say about Israel and Israel's God? The corpses and ruins bore witness to something that the world needed to know. God is holy and does not tolerate disobedience. He has sworn to punish and judge all sin. Asaph confessed the sins of the nation and asked God to honor his name before the nations. 
Psalm 79, verses 1 through 13, a Psalm of Asaph. O God, pagan nations have conquered your land, your special possession. They have defiled your holy temple and made Jerusalem a heap of ruins. They have left the bodies of your servants as food for the birds of heaven. The flesh of your godly ones has become food for the wild animals. Blood has flowed like water all around Jerusalem. No one is left to bury the dead. We are mocked by our neighbors, an object of scorn and derision to those around us. O Lord, how long will you be angry with us? Forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that refuse to recognize you, on kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured your people Israel, making the land a desolate wilderness. Oh, do not hold us guilty for our former sins. Let your tender-hearted mercies quickly meet our needs. For we are brought low to the dust. Help us, O God of our salvation. Help us for the honor of your name. Oh, save us and forgive our sins for the sake of your name. Why should pagan nations be allowed to scoff, asking, Where is their God? Show us your vengeance against the nations, for they have spilled the blood of your servants. Listen to the moaning of the prisoners. Demonstrate your great power by saving those condemned to die. O Lord, take sevenfold vengeance on our neighbors for the scorn they have hurled at you. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever and ever, praising your greatness from generation to generation. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray.